Hey guys, this is J-Rob, the editor and producer of the Nullcast. Thank you guys for listening continually and supporting the Nullcast. Just want to let you guys know that Ingram has been having some issues with his mic and his input. We're still trying to get to the bottom of that, but please bear with us and enjoy this episode of the Nullcast. Take care and go Nulls. Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nullcast. Bud, we will thank our good friends at Tarpon Cellars Wine, as we are fond of doing Tarpon Cellars. Uh, two-man operation led by two guys that are exceptionally passionate about Florida State football and uh, happen to be incredibly gifted and passionate about the subject matter of wine and have produced uh, quite the, uh, you know, quite the small batch uh, kind of facility. And uh, have made a name for themselves. Some of their reds have been considered uh, some of the finer Cabernets in particular that have come out. And uh, we're ever so fortunate to be able to partner with those guys. So TarpenSellers.com is the is the wine site, is the website. And coupon code NOLCAST20 will get you 20% off anything offered on the website. So thank you to them. And Bud, let's jump into the review of... Uh, Win number five for the 2021 team, a win that uh, was really impressive in many ways as far as what the team looked like, the mentality, the focus. I don't know about you, but it sure didn't look like a team that played their Super Bowl uh, last Saturday and uh, was was really impressed by the way that the team came out, if nothing else. Well put by you there. Uh, this is about the first time, and I'm going to say this without the refs too, but we'll talk refs. This is the first time this year Rep issue played a lot better than the score indicated, I think. Like, a whole lot better. If you look at the adjusted scoring margin, kind of if you take, like, how FSU moved the ball, how, how Boston College moved the ball on a down-to-down basis, it's FSU by 12. They won by three. That was a pretty thorough uh, takedown of Boston College. You know, like, I think BC is a decent team, especially especially with Dracovic in there, man. Like, that, that guy... I oftentimes laugh when they make these pro comparisons. Oh, look at this guy. He's Ben Roethlisberger. But damn, like I watched Ben Roethlisberger last night. That guy's hard to take down. Dracovic's kind of similar. I mean, Keir Thomas is not a small dude. and He may have been worrying about uh, getting a penalty for touching the quarterback or something, but he was having an awful hard time getting that guy to the ground. That was, that was pretty impressive, dude. Just the way that they came out, uh, the physicality of the defense uh, matching Boston College had really given them all that they could want. The play that Deloach makes that uh, I believe it's the first play of the ultimate set of four that they get a fourth down stop on uh, down there at the goal line is um, just remarkable. I mean, you got a guy in space. And all of a sudden, you have to make this real quick diagnosis, and both of the players do it, that this is going to be a collision. I mean, there's no getting around it. Uh, you've got a, an offensive lineman who's uh, running downhill, and you got a linebacker who makes that decision just a little bit quicker and doesn't absorb a blow, gives a blow, 
ends up knocking the offensive lineman off his feet in somewhat of a, uh, I'm not saying he flips him over, but he certainly kind of sends him falling, sprawling, and uh, and failing, or flailing, straight into his running back. I mean, it was just a remarkable play and a level of physicality that we haven't seen a whole lot of around here. And not to mention Deloach had just a remarkable game overall, but that play is level physicality and uh, playing football with an intent that, you know, Florida State hadn't seen, Florida State fans haven't seen in quite a while. You know, that, that's, that's not to say that you didn't get beat some. You, you did. Uh, but how many plays on there do you feel like FSU uh, busted? They had a one or two, like, underneath busts, but those are our busts where the risk-reward, and I, maybe we shouldn't present this as risk-reward because, like, what are you risking for busting, right? Like, there's no real, like, or rather, what is the reward for busting. So maybe it's a poor cho- choice of words, maybe. Like the potential downside for busting something short is not as as uh, great as it is for, you know, making a bust on a deep ball, obviously. And do they have any busts on deep balls? I and mean, Brownlee got beat by Flowers. All the more remarkable that you play a quantitative amount of that game with number 15 in there as well and not 10. I mean, uh, you know, again, a little bulletin point that we have is just the cohesiveness of the coverage i mean you and and you were fortunate enough to see a little bit of a wider angle on a couple of those plays you can just appreciate that this is a defense that has a much greater <clears throat> sounder understanding of what's asked for them and are playing with a lot more of a, of a i guess a team mentality i don't know but you just got guys that are covering guys that know their responsibility and are playing out that responsibility over the course of a play and as you know, defense is as as interwoven and as much of a team aspect as there is. And and you know, you do what you're supposed to do on the back end. A lot of times, you end up making the guys up front look all the more better than they are. And with this unit, that doesn't take a whole lot because guys up front are pretty damn special. You know, it's it's a really good point. They they look better coached down the stretch. Like the last, definitely the last two games against offenses that we know can score. They, they, they looked a lot better. I mean, Miami just dropped, what, 38 in the rain on Vatek? Vatek's not a bad defense. It's not great. It's not, it's not bad. Um, these guys look legitimately improved. And, and I said it in the instant, but if you're going to rip them for looking poor early in the season, I think they deserved every bit of that and maybe held back some too at times. You lost to Jacksonville freaking state and gave up 20 against them. Like that's, that's not acceptable. But I think they've made real improvements. And some improvements, honestly, since like the middle of March-ish. So you know, that, that, that is to be to their credit. They're 44th right now in Connolly's SP+. I do think we're going to look back at this season and say, damn, man, this defense had real talent on it. And it wasn't a top 25 level defense. That sucks, right? Like, I, I don't think there's any way you're going to be able to tell me this defense played to its talent level this year. I think it is playing much closer to its talent level now. Which, if they had played this way and played to their talent throughout the course of the year, maybe they're already bowl eligible. You know, I guess that's my point. I'd also say that you've had to go through some personnel to find uh, the <laughs> to find the individuals that let you play to your talent level. I mean, you know, there's some guys in the secondary that you don't see anymore. Um, there's there's certainly been some decisions that have made. And at the same time, you've had some guys slowly emerge 
uh, a long line of scrimmage and certainly feel more comfortable with some of the rotation there that's taking place. So getting some better snaps at array, especially once, once Briggs went down, you know, like that's, that's been encouraging. Um, you know, I, I, I'm encouraged by their, by their uh, improvement. I also think there is a chance you look back and you say, damn, like the three guys who or four guys up front who are making this engine go are all are going pro. Very possible. You see what I'm saying? Like, can you be, can you be like simultaneously happy that the defense is now playing to his talent level, but also a little bit annoyed that you lost games you probably shouldn't have earlier in the year if it could have played to his talent level? I think it's very fair. I, I would say that my, what wins the day here is that you're seeing a team effort out of the side of the ball that you haven't seen a te- team effort in half a decade. And you know what? I can, I can swallow the fact that it took longer than it should have and that maybe you didn't get quite as good of a year as you should have out of them. Uh, obviously, this is assuming that this is a, you know, no, the progress is never linear, uh, perfectly linear, but, you know, that this is built upon over the years. This is not just a team that's led by this wildly unique phenomenon that is a exceptionally talented uh, kid in number 11 who also cares about making his teammates better and his teammates practice at a high level, et cetera, et cetera. That's not, you know, that that is a unicorn. You don't find those in the transfer portal all that frequently. And to be able to pair him with with four and then uh, as much as love it has continued to emerge, you've you really got a remarkable defense that starts up front. So, you know, credit to a unit overall. They have certainly gotten significantly better as the year has gone by. And, and a pretty damn good tackling team overall. You know, like the, like if they don't bust coverages, they usually get guys on the ground pretty well. There are some notable times they didn't, but of course those are going to stick out. Especially that they're going to stick out when, when you are a pretty good tackling unit overall. You know what else a really, really good unit overall, dude? Shannon and Chad, they are. And I wanted to say that because I've butchered their names so much. And one of our listeners said... I think the problem is is that you're trying to ch- say Chad and Shannon. It is easier to say Shannon and Chad than, than Chad and Shannon. Yeah. 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 I, I was going to make a smart ass comment. Uh, but Shannon and Chad evidently is much more a, you know, verbal delineation for my poor tongue that doesn't uh, twist up and, you know, lock gears in every ad read that when I try to try to mention a, a fantastic sponsor. Uh, Shannon called me tonight. He apologized for all the spam in my inbox. Uh, which I said, I'm, I'm always happy to see that kind of spam. Uh, nine closings this week. Unreal, man. Unreal. I mean, it is a, it's a successful partnership as there is in podcasting on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, it's really been remarkable. So uh, kudos to all our listeners. Kudos to to Shannon and Chad for offering such a dynamic service. And, uh, you know, this is real kind of... Uh, window of time that I would encourage all of our listeners to look at, diagnose, and realize that you may not have access to rates like this, but only for so long. may end up buying a little investment property myself, man. 844-FSU-LOAN is the number I will call if I do it. So we talked about the progression of the defense, uh, and I don't want to just, you know, turn this into uh, to fanboypodcast.com, but I want to give a couple minutes to Jordan Travis, and you did talk about this in the instant, and I thoroughly enjoyed the instant. I want to go back to this. Uh, You know, uh, certainly we've been doing this for 11 years or whatever. It's a good partnership. Uh, But I, one reason why I enjoy working with you is because 
Uh, you're not a guy to bemoan about the officials. I mean, I, th- I think I hear Bud say something about the officials about once every three or four years. So uh, when you do comment upon it, as you did in the instant reaction, I think it probably has uh, a little bit more of an effect or an impact. And to me, that game felt like something that <laughs> a conversation from 10 years ago when you and I were starting this podcast and we were talking about you know, the fact that if Florida State fans were just a little bit more crazy and SEC in them, there would have been like a physical confrontation between, uh, you know, supporters of this team and the refs. And, and God knows I'm not encouraging that. Uh, it's a horrible look and not something that we want. This felt like 2010, 2011 ACC officials and uh, not just horrible, but like impacting the, I don't want to say impacting the integrity of the game, because I think that's only taken place once in my lifetime, but uh, being so wrong, so consistent, and so one-sidedly wrong that uh, you damn near played a massive role in the outcome of a football game. I mean, you, you absolutely played a massive role in the outcome of the game. Just, it was by how much. It, luckily, you did not play a role in the outcome of who actually won the game. It was just, by, again, by how much. FSU is lucky that it played as well as it did uh, because otherwise, who boy, uh, that would have been, I mean, if, if you're Norvell, like, you, you, just, you just let the chopper spray, right? If you lose that game and you lose a chance to go to a bowl, like I, I think you eat the fine. You, you just air these guys out. There are so many just kind of WTF calls in this game. And if you send them all to the league office, I'm sure they can explain away a lot of them, right? Hey, man, you know, it sucks, but like that's a judgment call. Uh, guy hits the punt returner, kind of got blocked into him, in my opinion. Also, like, not a materially important hit. You know, hey, like, our duties protect quarterback. You can't hit a guy who's sliding. Okay, but also he slid kind of late there. You know what I mean? The, the dude was already in the act of his tackle. Technically, it doesn't even matter what the rule. It's just if you played football at any level, that's kind of common sense. Once you're already into your tackle, it's very hard to adjust where your body's going. You know, the Jordan Wilson pass interference, uh, the official, in my opinion, is guessing. I don't think he saw it. I think he saw a result, which was the Boston College defender falling down and the massive human that is Jordan Wilson continuing to progress up the field. And thinking, okay, well, there's no way a guy that big is going to juke somebody into falling down. So he's got, like, he's not going to shake him. So he's got to throw him down. But in fact, the dude just tripped because he, I don't even think he was trying to cover Jordan Wilson. I think he's trying to head on out, out, out there to cover the, the route along the sideline. I mean, I know I missed some other, some other calls here. There was one pretty bad spot at one point as well that was just, oh my God. There were a lot of bad calls. We didn't have anybody move a football. And we didn't have an official just bizarrely throw his hand up in the air, almost in an attempt to touch a pass. Uh, so it is not it is not the gold standard that is, I think, Wake Forest 2010, a game that I legitimately question the integrity of. And we'll always do that. That's not what I'm suggesting here, but it was a historically bad effort. So you think we need some retraining with their technique? <laughs> some retraining of not moving the friggin' ball on the ground as it's being uh, as it's being measured. Uh, that yeah, again, that game is. I uh, uh, wouldn't be surprised if you know there's not further. <laughs> you know, we wake up ten years from now and find out that there was uh, something more in play on that game. But anyway, 
2010 Wake Forest, it was not, but 2021 Boston College is something that will be remembered for a long time. And as we mentioned, uh, from a Florida State perspective, you're fortunate that Florida State played as well as they did to be bemoaning a win that was horribly officiated as opposed to the opposite. Norvell did kind of say something interesting today. Did you catch this? His comment about how like they've had a... Yeah, self-scouting of the officials. Yeah, and he pointed out a bit of an outlier that they, they clearly feel. I mean, this one crew... Norvell's teams are not like low penalty teams, but they're not generally like bottom 10 in the nation. And this one crew consistently just hits them for a ridiculous amount of fouls. Now, this is a high foul crew, I will say. Like they do tend to call a lot of fouls in their like Jacksonville State, they, they did that game. They also called a whole lot of fouls on, you know, um on 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 the Gamecocks. But ultimately, you know, that is Pretty good restraint by Norville. I thought it's, I thought today's press conference was nice, man. You know, he he talked about like if you don't get fired up for this Florida game, you don't need to be here. And um, overall, it's just he seems to be handling things right now fairly well. Pretty good job, you know. Especially when you could have lost this team for sure after Jacksonville State or after Wake or after Louisville. No, I mean there were uh, certainly an, an awful lot of opportunities. To uh, to lose this team and and uh, if nothing else, you could have a decent amount of confidence that there was real legitimate uh, buy-in because Lord knows most teams would have quit. Well, right. I mean, you, you could say, hey, well, bud, what, what are they going to do? Like not play the rest of the season? Florida kind of does. D- Dan Mullen kind of normalized that behavior. Like I I totally agree with him that last year's Sugar Bowl doesn't count. Right? You had a chance to go to the playoffs and beat Bama. Probably, maybe. Okay. Sucks that you lost. Got a lot of guys opt out. Got some guys who were hurt. Elected to get some surgeries and stuff. You just, you, you don't want to say what he said. Because then it kind of normalizes that behavior that once our ultimate goal is dashed, the rest of the season is dashed. Yeah, you also can't, and I realize that it, there's certainly a lot of elements of truth to this. You can't say like one of the more meaningful bowl games doesn't mean anything, you know, just from a perspective of a sport. Well, and the ticket sales people for your university and the people and the people who are trying to get like donor relations are probably not cool with you. Be like, yeah, this game that we just asked you to buy tickets for doesn't matter. Yeah, and for what it was worth, it was 2011 Wake Forest that uh, Bud and I wonder if there was not some outside influence, not 2010. So, oh, 2011, yes, the, 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 it was the game in Wake. That was now granted, there were also some things in that game or call that the coaching that the coaching staff could have done better. Like if EJ Manuel was really healthy enough to play, probably should have just started him and then benched him once he scored enough points, as opposed to having to come off in an emergency fashion. Right? That was the same game, pretty sure. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I, I do think that is. Had to be, because 2010 Ponder was still there. Okay. Yeah. And and that that, that game was in wake. What I was saying before I took us on a little bit of a detour is just want to give credit to Jordan Travis, uh, a guy that has made some very significant strides and, and is getting to the point to where some of the progress that he's made throwing the ball you get to see on game day. And, the, and those two don't always pair with each other immediately. Uh, a guy who's, you know, look, I'm not trying to make him, you know, he's not playing, he's not playing chess out there, uh, but a guy who's doing a better job at, at looking at a couple of different options, a guy who's, still takes a bad snap or a bad sack or two 
uh, every once in a while, in my opinion. But a guy who's a lot more comfortable with the ball, uh, more selective in how he tries to run, uh, just a, an overall progression uh, from a kid that he still only played, what, a season's worth of ball at this point, uh, you know, from a cumulative perspective. Now, you know, there's some concerns in and of that statement as to how that's true. Uh, but a guy that's, you know, has been able to uh, progress, learn, and continues to be a, a really nice uh, facet to which this offense is built around. He's playing well, man. Um, was it 15 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio in, in the last couple games? That's, that can't be right, actually. Maybe, maybe it's 12 to 1. Um, on the year, 14 and 5 touchdown interception ratio, 6.8 adjusted yards per attempt. That's not good. It's not horrendously bad. It's just not not good. Completion percentage sixty three. You know certainly some some empty yards there, uh, but you you have to basically keep this in context of his legs, because if Jordan Travis couldn't run like this, you, he's, he's not a playable quarterback in the ACC, based on his throwing. But he can run like this, and defenses know that he can run like this, and they have to respect his ability to run the football. You know. And this impacts how they play coverage against the Knolls. It impacts how they play run defense against the Knolls. It impacts basically everything that they're doing uh, on, a de- on the defensive side of the ball. It simplifies some of the stuff for Jordan and this offense. And, and he makes this thing go. When he's not in there, the offense doesn't do anything. Obviously, I'm going to stand by what I said. I would go get a transfer portal quarterback. And if Jordan beats him out, awesome. If the guy beats Jordan out, also awesome. Maybe you can unlock some passing in this offense. I mean, the, the, the story is good, and he is improving as a player. If he does not improve as a passer a whole lot, and you don't go get a transfer portal quarterback, you could be up a creek next year because A, complete inability to stay healthy a couple, you know, two years in a row. We'll see if injuries are something that, that you know, stays season to season, or if it's kind of flukish. B, 100th in the nation in passing success rate, 114th in passing efficiency. Now, part of that is McKenzie baked in. That's that's what you are as a team. McKenzie this year, horrendous. I mean, three touchdowns, five picks, 3.7 adjusted yards per attempt, 58% completions. Again, a lot of those are kind of throwing for eight yards on third and a million. These amount of those are throwing for a yard to a back that's uh, basically a toss play that gets categorized as a pass uh, as well. Yes, exactly right. So, is FSU better than 100th and 114th when Jordan's in there? Absolutely they are. No doubt. They're still not like a top, you know, top half team throwing the football in the country. So, I'm really encouraged by his progress though. I think the last two games, he's throwing the ball legitimately better. Overall. Now, he's had stretches in both games where he's had some misses and that's concerning, but He's a run-first quarterback who's improving as a passer. That's a credit to, you know, to, to Mike and Kenny. They're doing a good job with him, I think. I want to give credit to another Jordan real quickly. Jordan Wilson, a kid that about a month ago I was ready to write off and say he doesn't need to take too many more snaps. Uh, has continued to work uh, in practice. Credit to the coaching staff for continuing to develop a kid who, again, a month ago wasn't sure he could be really be developed. Um, does some really nice things uh, blocking for you. They've got 
couple set up the touchdown to Toa Philly is a good example of what they do with Wilson. They also use him as a de- uh, you know, a decoy quite frequently and a six foot four, 270 pound decoy is pretty, pretty fun to throw around. Uh, but Jordan, good on you, man. Cause you continue to progress and, uh, and work when, uh, when some, including myself, weren't really sure that that wasn't anything but a, a futile effort. So uh, good to see them continue to, to work on a kid and, and get the most out of a kid that they can. And a guy that's turned into a, a decent little asset for him. 100%. It does feel like this team is pretty together. You know, like they're all moving towards a common goal. It's been a while since you could really, really feel that. In some ways, it really might be, might be since 2013. Although I do think there were some, what was the Sugar Bowl year? Or uh, excuse me, the uh, uh, Orange Bowl year, 2016? I think like part of 16. But again, like you also did the promise note stuff, which didn't, uh, I guess it worked a little bit, and then also didn't. It's a Band-Aid. It's a, a, a flex seal uh, if you watch a lot of ACC t- television. That's what it was. One thing that uh, you could only <clears throat> improve your uh, your whereabouts and, and your likenesses if you were under their umbrella would be the good people congruity. Uh, simply put, congruity is experiencing your business optimized. Uh, Matt Lewis has been a great teammate for us and would be for you as well. Uh, whether that's involving issues uh, surrounding payroll, uh, HR, uh, congruity really can uh, examine just about any aspect of your business, try to find ways to uh, find a, a more better and optimal pairing. And uh, for Matt Lewis, we've ever been so fortunate that that is all that he has done for the Knollcast and several of our partners. So Knowles at congruityhr.com is the email Phone number is 844-247-4100. And if you want to reach out to myself, uh, whether it be email or Twitter as a uh, less formal introduction, uh, please feel free to do so. All right. So uh, I do want to bring up something here. I know you're not watching college basketball during the show. I am also not watching college basketball during the show. But during the ad read, uh, I checked over my tweet deck here. I don't know the football equivalent for this is, but... Illinois is seven for its last 40 from the floor. I wonder what the worst 40 shot stretch is or 40 shot stretch is for a ham team ever. Like it can't be seven for 40, right? No, I mean, seven for 40 is, uh, is something really special. I mean, even, even in those teams kind of like what the Al Thornton kind of pre Al Thornton period where it was just nothing but defense and effort. I don't think he ever flirted with a seven for 40, but uh, perhaps I'm wrong. I, I don't claim to be any kind of, uh, you know, uh, basketball program, uh, savant or uh, amateur historian. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty hard to do. Um, also hard to do is move the football when you don't have Darius Washington in there. And, you know, you got 59, 53. I don't know, ran on the parade here, but I'm a little worried about this. I watched Florida against Missouri. Florida's defense played a hell of a lot better against Missouri. Missouri had a bunch of guys out in their offensive line. Florida's D line kind of ate them up for a large, large portion of that game. We know what this team is when the offensive line ain't healthy. Now, Mike Norvell today said that, uh, Darius Washington's returns were uh, what? What do you say? Better than expected. 
better than expected, which for me, I interpreted that more to be something that wouldn't bleed into 20, 2022 at this point. I, uh, I don't claim to know everything about that, but I, uh, early results would be that I would not expect Darian. Uh, I would not expect Williamson this weekend. Yeah, that, that's not, uh, that's not any kind of like observations from practice that, you know, we're going to get anybody in trouble for reporting. That's just, you know, my own asking around. I, I would be surprised. Now, could be wrong. I'd be surprised. You're going to have to have your defense play like it's been playing. And you may need to win this game, you know, 27-20. Or maybe even something lower and nastier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I okay, so I think we're both in agreement that Williamson's probably five percent at most that you get him for this game. DLT hasn't played in two of the last four, if if memory serves me correct. Gibbons has been touch and go all year. Fifty-three is um struggling right now, and Florida's not particularly a good matchup for him at all. Uh, look, the team has done exceptional things. This is not Bud and I just trying to find an area to be negative, but you need to be honest with yourself as to what the offensive line looks like headed into Gainesville and, and headed against uh, a team that defensive side of the ball sure hadn't quit. I mean, you, you can watch the, the Missouri game and, and realize that pretty quickly, at least the beginning of the game. We'll just have to see what that offensive line looks like. I don't know. The details behind Bavion, you haven't seen him. I thought that might have been flu-related a couple weeks ago, but still haven't seen him come back. So maybe that's a guy that you could get back there and and have another number. Uh, but offensive line is in quite the predicament as we enter into the either the final game or the final two games of the 2021 season. It is. And you know we'll, we'll see if Coach Atkins can work some magic. But at some point, it's blood from the stone. Um, I want to keep it positive. You know, but uh, got to address the news, obviously. So, hey, special teams. I, I covered this a lot in the instant. Really nice job on punting, except for the penalty, which, again, we just talked about. Kickoff, kickoff return unit, man. What, what, what are we doing here? This is kind of like one of those. Call you to my office. What, what, what are we doing? So the punt coverage team has gotten much better. And I know you just said this, but I want to acknowledge that. The other three units, uh, I still wonder what the hell we're doing. Uh, it is, it's bizarre. I mean, it is, uh, you really gave Boston College the only grasp of oxygen that they could possibly have in that game initiated with them returning a ball to your, what, 39 or whatever off a of kickoff. I mean, it's just, uh, it is a constantly disappointing unit and you got a guy who's knows football and is a really good coach there now i don't know if it fully transfers over uh but i don't you know i don't doubt the ability or the um acumen uh, of who's coaching it but certainly the message is either not landing or you know you're having to fall so much to kids that uh, you know aren't necessarily your number one option that you you wonder whether or not the you know, the decision-making's there or not. I don't know. But the product on the field for three-fourths of your special teams unit all year have been uh, exceptionally disappointing. I agree. I, I, I cannot figure it out, but, like, it is frustrating. All right, bud. So this podcast obviously called the Nullcast, and 95% of conversation 
surrounding it will be about Florida State football. And this is not doesn't mean that this isn't tied to uh, FSU is whenever, you know, an in-state uh, rival or however you want to classify UF makes a change in their coaching job. It's going to have ramifications that will be felt uh, by a lot of teams in the southeast, but certainly that uh, of the one that resides in Tallahassee. You've got a school that uh, has made a move official in Gainesville, and you've got a school that, uh, as skeptical as I <laughs> am about them, uh, and perhaps part of me still is, it looks like Miami is certainly on the you know, on the, on the ledge of making a similar jump as well. So uh, I think maybe the sidewalk fan may think that there's a, a more instant impact to this. I'll be interested in your results. For me, this is more about a 2023 conversation, really. Uh, but are there any individual kids in 2022 that you could see impacted by either the known change in Gainesville or the perhaps uh, incoming one from, from the crowd down in uh, Coral Gables? You know, there really, there aren't, not, not many at least. Uh, and that is, that's interesting. Um, simply because I think it kind of illuminates why Florida made this change. I mean, if you're the University of Florida and you fire your head coach and FSU for the most part is like, eh, we're good. As far as rating your class, you're not doing a very good job. And certainly Mullen was not doing a very good job. Uh, that was a big missed opportunity for the University of Florida to not take advantage of Miami and especially Florida State, you know, being down. Um, none of these schools are doing very well in the state right now. FSU's doing fairly well in Georgia. You know, FSU's doing okay in Florida. We'll see how, how, how well they're able to close. You know, FSU may end up with a top 10 class. Team that went three and six last year and is going to go at best six and six this year should not be, be beating you like, like they are in recruiting, and FSU is. As far as guys I think FSU might want to go after, I don't think they're going to have interest in Gibbs, definitely not Livingston, uh, maybe Jaden Gibson. I, I, I did see A.J. Duffy tweeting at him tonight, receiver is a position of need. We'll see kind of what their, their true eval of him is. Um, I don't think they're going to go after Knowlton, really. Lightsey, I don't know this how much the staff loved Lightsey, to be honest, throughout the process. Some people who I respect, obviously, I think Chris Nee liked him a whole lot. Um, but I don't know. We, we all have different opinions on kids, right? So not a lot of kids in this Florida class and not a lot of guys who were going to go to Florida like down the stretch, I don't believe. Um, you know, I, I had somebody from Florida staff hit me up after I put in that crystal ball for Wesley Besaint to Florida State uh, like two weeks ago. And... uh or well, not two weeks, so like 10 days ago now. And he's like, we, we, I, we, we get the last crack at him. It's like, yeah, but you just fired your D coordinator and the linebackers coach was your interim coach against Sanford and you gave up a billion points. So I don't really think the linebackers coach can be retained. And there's a lot of you know smoke swirling that you might, might make a change with Dan Mullen. So I'm fairly confident with my crystal ball there. Anyway, that's kind of where I am with Florida as far as their class. It's kind of weird, but like the other big boy states have already raided the state because FSU's down and Florida's down and Miami's down. Like they, they've already come in and raided Florida for the top kids in the state. I mean, if you, if you go down the list, 
uh, which I will do right now, I guess. You think about like top kids from the state of Florida in the 24-7 sports composite. And I just clicked on the advertisement there. Sorry about this. Do I have sunshine up? Let me go ahead and pull this up. This is great podcasting, by the way. Really on, on the fly uh, podcasting. So class of 2022, right? As far as kids who were actually from Florida, not a lot of not a lot of big time stuff going on. So FSU has like like let's, let's go ahead and look here. Um, I'll go in order of their composite rank first. So Brownlow Dendy is committed to Oklahoma the, in the five star D tackle. Sam McCall committed to Florida State. Kenyatta Jackson committed to Ohio State. He's seventh in the state. Jaden Gibson twelfth in the state right now. You know we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Alabama. Martin Niblack, I believe he's 13th among, among the guys who are from Florida. So I filtered out the non-Florida native IMG kids here. Travell Mullen, Indiana. Demario Tolan, LSU. Uh, Wesley Besaint, not committed yet, obviously. Uh, so he could potentially be one for you there. Uh, Jacoby Spells, out of state. Chris Graves, Miami. I don't think he's opened it up yet. Um, anyway, just like not a lot of top kids from Florida staying in the state this year at all. I think Florida State has, what, two four-stars who are actually from the state of Florida committed right now? I guess three if you count Travis. He's from Georgia, but he's, you know, I guess, or excuse me, he, he lives in Georgia. He's originally from Palm Beach. So there's an opportunity here for some coach, be it Mike Norvell or a new coach for Florida or a new coach for Miami to come in and take control of the state. Not this year, but if you have a good year next year or if Florida coach you know, hits the ground running, whoever they hire, or if Miami, if they engage their unlimited funds, you know, button. Yeah, unlimited funds, bro. You know, unlimited. <laughs> oh, that program never, never fails to, never fails to really deliver at times. Uh, and just clowning on itself in ways that only it could do. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, look, uh, <clears throat> another discussion for another time probably, but I, it, it will be interesting to me how this plays out over the next, uh, five, six, seven years or so as to if there's anybody that really runs this state again, you know, I mean, you've got so many schools who have, uh, significant ties here and kind of know what they're doing. Wink, wink, nod, nod. When it comes to recruiting some of these areas, that uh, I just don't know that you ever see anybody, you know, truly build a fence around this state. Now, you know, maybe maybe dominating the state, signing six of the top fifteen kids or something like that. If you're an in-state school, and and that's what uh, you know, really dominating your in-state prospects looks like. But I do think, uh, you know, do I want to say the, the the paradigm has shifted for forever? No, that's probably premature. But I I don't know that you're getting rid of. Uh, Bama, Georgia, Clemson, Clemson, Texas A&M, et cetera, uh, anytime soon. I agree with that. Um, certainly not. But you, you could do a much better job. Now, here's some things to think about, by the way, that I think will possibly impact if she's recruiting. No, before you get too far down the line, bud, I'm sorry. You know how you do a better job? You let alumni do pr- player evaluations. Oh, That's correct. how you do yeah, a better job. That. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. just go or, willy-nilly offering kids. Or, 
We're, we're, we're going to have the, uh, the, the, the Kaniac top 100 here for, for, the, for Miami-Dade. All right, so Isaiah Bond uh, was the top player in Florida's recruiting class, and he has since decommitted, and I think he's going to go to Alabama. He visited Alabama over the weekend. They like him at receiver. Let's play some dominoes here. FSU is not in it for Isaiah Bond. They are somewhat in it for Kendrick Law, the LSU uh, commit, decommit. A lot of these kids are like, I'm not decommitted, but I'm reopening my process. So I don't, I don't know what the technical term of art here is to use. Bond actually did decommit, though, from Florida. Like he, he dropped an a Instagram graphic like showing his decommit off, which is kind of a new thing. We used to not have guys like drop graphics to celebrate their decommit. But anyway, I digress. Um, Bama does not have, a, they, got, they got a lot of spots. They, they don't have unlimited spots, although sometimes it definitely feels like they do. If Bama takes Bond at receiver, we know that Bama likes Kendrick Law at receiver as well. FSU, I believe, prefers Kendrick Law at defensive back. And they would take him as such. They also like Earl Little at defensive back, right? Although I think Law could play offense either place. Um, I don't know that Bama sees Law as a DB. If they get Bond, at some point, like, do you, do you start to fill up? Maybe one of these guys slips. And, and this is not being maybe a negative. This is check the tape. I said this 14 months in a row. Because you took a, a smaller class last year, right? Because you went heavy transfer, you're going to have more high school spots to sell. Part of that's gone now because you got some transfer relief nationwide. But you were still going to have to figure out the sweet spot for kids who were maybe good enough to play at Bama if they jumped in in February or March or April. But if they misplayed their hand a little bit, they were kids with sort of fringe Bama-level talent who don't have Bama spots anymore. And if you can identify those right kids and get them in, that can get you back on the fast track to winning eight, nine, 10 ballgames. We'll have to see if this comes true with you know one of those type kids right there. Is that confusing or? I mean, obviously you're my partner, so you. Uh, no, no, and I, I think there's been a consistency of message there for long enough that uh, you know the point could be delivered if uh, if said messenger wanted to receive it. So. Um, no, man, it's just great to be able to follow a program where there's a legitimate, a lot of optimism about recruiting. And, and both this year and um, Florida State's laying the groundwork to do some real things in 2023. And, uh, and both that's the relationships that have existed for the last eight months or so. But again, just being honest and looking each other in the eyes, when people are excited about the program and convinced that you're headed in the right direction, recruiting gets a little bit easier. And I've said this for a long time. Florida State's never going to be Bama, Ohio State, et cetera. Uh, but when everybody's in the boat and rowing the right way, Florida State can be pretty damn good on the trail. And uh, you are looking at those series of events coming together with a really talented 2023 class as well. So we'll have to see how much of that comes to fruition. 100% agree there. All right, so uh, with Miami, the main guy you're fighting them for right now is Besaint. Uh, I don't think that Florida or Miami or like we know he's not a take at Alabama uh, and LSU does not expect his commitment. Uh, Julian Armella, who announced that he's going to be committing 
uh, sometime soon, I believe. I would expect him to, to be in the boat at this point. I have put in a crystal ball for Saint. I, uh, I know that, I think it was Kane Sport or somebody today, I, I think, one of the Miami sites, not, not ours, put out a report that uh, Manny Diaz is expected back unless the new AD decides that he's not. My kid can have a midnight bedtime until I decide he has to go to bed. I don't know what to make of that, but I would not at all be surprised if there's a coaching change after the Duke game. That doesn't give you a whole lot of time to put together a class before the early signing period. I don't think if you're if you're Miami, you should care about that. To be frank, and this is not me trying to like say Miami, hey, you know, let all your prospects go to Florida State because FSU doesn't want most of them anyway. But it is me saying like most of the time when you sign a new class with a new head coach who is not an internal promotion, that class is terrible. I mean, just I looked at I looked up Colorado's class, their 2019. They signed 26 kids, 10 of them made it to year three. Not like completed your eligibility to year three, man. Yeah. No, I mean, I think the track record there is... Uh... It, like, I'm, I'm pulling all this data now, like, like, like more and more year after year. It's getting worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does feel like it's getting more pronounced over time. And, and maybe that's just, uh, you know, hindsight bias or whatever else. But uh, it, it does appear to only be going in one direction as far as the quality of class that you get. And you just realize you got to write it off. Now, with Miami, it'll be interesting because they had such a good class last year, relatively speaking, how much of that is, you know, COVID uh, impacted that and how much of that class really sticks together. We'll have to see. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, again, there's part of me that's skeptical about this, but uh, I agree that in all likelihood, you'll see a change there within 24 hours of the of the game on Saturday, at least my opinion as to where they are right now. So, so I think if you're Miami, though, you have an interesting conversation to be had. To me, there are two candidates that FSU certainly does not want to see at Miami. Mario Cristobal and Lane Kiffin. I think the drop-off, though, between those two guys, and again, coaching hires are freaking crapshoots, man. You know, Mullen looked like, like a pretty much a slam dunk. He had a proven winner for Florida. First couple of years, he was until he wasn't, right? There are a lot of guys where the fit makes a ton of sense. Look at Fuente, Virginia Tech. Everything about that guy was upward trajectory, very blue-collar dude, fits that fan base re- really well, got to you know, tap into local recruiting, doesn't work out. I, I, I go back and I see a lot of these coaching grades that the media puts on. I'm just like, I don't, I, don't, I don't do them anymore. Back when I had the Barton and Bud podcast for the national side, and I suggest this on Cover 3 as well, I don't want to do letter grades. I want to do get it or don't get it as a grade. And then it's explaining, well, okay, why that makes sense to me or why, I, I don't know. I'm going to wait and see on this one. Because it is a crapshoot. But I do think those are like the two candidates who I think would probably take the job, maybe, who FSU would not want to see down there that would probably cause some recruiting issues for, for the Knowles. After that, I think it's a pretty damn big drop-off. So if you're Miami, if you're going to make that Manny Diaz move, how confident are you you have Chris Ball or Kiffin in the bag? It will be interesting. It will be interesting to watch uh, what our friends to the South do and and where they try to go, as you said, with all this uh, newfound money and everything else that uh, 
seems to be associated with their program right now. Um, not tied to, to Miami or Florida, but just real curious, bud. When do you see Tom Herman getting a legitimate job again? Just interested as to your perspective on that. I really don't know. Um, I thought he did a, obviously, like not a satisfactory job there at Texas. Uh, can I throw this question back at you? So Sarkeesian was hired because Texas thought it had like an eight-win roster that needed to be upgraded to like a you know 10 or 11-win team. If we find out that actually this is not the case and this is a total rebuild needed, A, is Sarkeesian the right guy for the job? B, there's no way that he keeps the job, right? Like in, in, into them going to the SEC at some point, like they'll make a change there. But C, what does that say about Tom Herman and his recruiting efforts? That the roster was that bad that Sark took over. So on the one hand, you could say, yeah, Tom is getting decent results here, just not, not great ones and sometimes not good ones. On the other hand, you could say, did Sark really cause this whole thing to fall apart in nine months? Because remember, he wasn't even hired until after the national championship game, right? Right. And his staff's full of coaching juggernauts, um, which is a inside joke. If you're not familiar with that clip, it's one of the more, this term gets thrown around, but it is one of the more cringe moments that I've seen. Uh, made me made me very uncomfortable as to where that conversation was going. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah, and, and that's hard to, I think it's a good and fair point. And it may circle back to the point that we were making just a second ago. There is nothing that can be positively 100% extrapolated as to what it will mean with a coach and a fit. Because if, if you would have told me anything about Tom Herman's time during <laughs> during his stint in Austin, it would be that that guy will go out and get 15 of the best kids in Texas each year and then grab a couple kids in surrounding side. And, and at, at the very least, that will be a – Ron Zook production, uh, because you will have three years of really good recruiting. Maybe it catches, maybe it doesn't, but somebody's going to come in there and inherit one hell of a locker room. And uh, obviously that's not the case. Yeah, I don't know where Tom Herman's going to go. So to to bring this back to, you know, to Florida, like the people at Florida I trust don't know that Florida wants to screw around with Lane Kiffin. Right? Like, and if you're a yeah, I mean, if you're a fan, all you think about is upside, but there's also potential downside, right? Um, Kiffin's done a good job this year at Ole Miss. There's also like lots of industry reasons why he doesn't get mentioned for a lot of other jobs. I think probably probably good ones. You've had to deal with a lot of issues recently with Mullen and McIlwain. I know Andy Staples made this point on his show. Uh, like, do you want to have a third potential coach in a row that you know you have, you have stuff going on? Florida also has. I don't know if you, did you watch the press conference w- w- with Strickland? Like he he got tagged again for the, the the player abuse scandal they have there in Gainesville. You know, like I don't know how how squeaky clean does this hire need to be for for Florida? A lot of smoke out there about Billy Napier. Who knows if that's if that's real or not? Um, pretty sure Napier interviewed for TCU or at least talked to TCU or his representatives did. Um, Maybe he could make sense at Virginia Tech. If you're Florida, like I don't hear Cristobal being na- like mentioned a whole lot there. Recruiting wise, I think he'd kill it. I mean, the guy's a recruiting maniac. Uh, but also, how would his coaching be? And does he want to be in the SEC when the SEC has like five guys now who run his game plan? 
That was kind of thought to be the reason why he didn't take Auburn last year, which turned out to be very smart because Auburn's a cluster administratively, you know, with like Harson could be gone after just one year, by the way. Like that's apparently yeah, a real possibility. It could. It could. It may see him out at Washington, it sounds like. Um if he well, yeah, but he's gotta do something. He's gotta go right. Yeah. Yeah. Because Washington, like Washington State didn't fire Rolovich. The state law of Washington did. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, also, no, I don't know that it lends itself to anything, but it was interesting to see uh, Tony Elliott mentioned that he and he had had contact with TCU uh, as well. Uh, so, you know, maybe maybe you see some kind of movement on that staff where you haven't in quite a while. I did get asked if uh, if Norvell would uh, would get any looks this year if if, if she made a bowl game, and honestly. Um, I don't think so. You're going to have a hard time at a job introducing a guy from Florida State who just lost to Jacksonville State. I mean, I know that there's a whole hell of a lot more nuance as to what's going on around here, but that's you You have somewhat, <laughs> I guess. Uh, we couldn't sell it to our own fan base that this team yeah, was important. Yeah, you, you, still, you still have guys that you can't sell it to, yeah. and girls. It was obvious it six to, weeks so. ago this team was improving and much better than last year's team. Granted, it should be. like Last year's team was, uh, I don't say inexcusably bad. There were clearly excuses like new coach, COVID, end of sentence. If you're like an outside guy, you got to sell this. You had the Marvin Wilson thing, which is probably what he's best known for as a head coach right now in the national landscape. That and... Uh, Roster picture when from when he was in college, but yeah, yep, exactly. It, it's it's cornrows and, and and the Marvin Wilson thing as far as like wh- who did average college ball fan no affiliation with Florida State average college ball booster. Okay, he's done a good job there. Landed the number one player in the country. That's pretty impressive. Obviously, uh, top ten recruiting class maybe nine and twelve record in the absolute best case scenario to end the year. Well, I guess he could win the bowl game. So, uh. 10 and 12 record? No, wait, that can't be right. Six. Yeah, no, yeah, it could be. Um, no, I, I, I think uh, I think he and the staff are probably a ways away from getting plucked anywhere, personally. Unless you have something weird happen, not with Norvell, but I mean, if Arizona State just totally cleaned house, right? Because they'd have to fire Ray Anderson, probably too, since Anderson is so tied to Herm Edwards. See where I'm going with this? Like, but they still have the NCAA thing hanging over their head, and you're like, okay, who would actually, who would take this job? So that's external. External, let me give you an internal. Horribly botch the AD hire and and see if you don't have a guy who's, uh, you know, open to offers that two guys hosting a podcast at 930 uh, would have a hard time forecasting. Yeah. No, I I, I just meant like, you know, if Dillingham really wanted to be a head coach, and like clearly resume wise, he's not going to get a P five head coaching job anytime. Like I don't say anytime soon, but like reasonably, this offense is not in the top fifty in the country, and it was terrible last year. It's made big time strides, but you and I could see that outsiders are not going to be sold on that. No, they're they're a year away. If Arizona State was such a mess and they still had the NCAA stuff hanging over their head, because he's from Arizona and he knows the area so well and previously coached there. Maybe, you know, that's where you're going with yours. Okay, I got you. I got you. Yes, not God. No, not not uh, all Arizona. Uh, so <laughs> got it. 
Got it. Okay. Well, yeah. That's it's, uh, everybody's got to have a little bit more of a track record for for any of the hypotheticals that we just talked about, and that's good. Good for uh, a program not to have to concern itself with that part of the process quite yet. I know FSU was a little bit slow to act in the portal a little bit last year, but I do think that they need to exercise patience in the portal. Just because they they were a little late to act on some kids does not mean that you need to go out there and be pursuing every single like big-name player that hits the portal. Some of these guys are in the portal for a good reason because they're looking for opportunities. Some of them are, are probably like not in a good situation. I, I'd look pretty hard at, you know, okay, why, why were you not doing better at your prior school in some of these instances? Just, just you know, t- take, take a deep dive in that. I think this staff will exercise enough patience at certain positions, and they should. Um, just something I was thinking about today. Sure. Watching how the staff uh, handles the portal will be one of the things I'm most eager to, uh, to see play out here. And, and again, we've talked about this for two or three weeks now. Maybe after the Florida game, we'll uh, we'll do a portal show in what would be our, you know, midweek either game review or game preview or something like that. So uh, we will have that out to you at some point in time. But uh, unless you've got something else that you're dying to jump into, bud, this will probably be a natural ending point for tonight's conversation. Thank you to everybody that makes the Nolcast possible. Thank you to our friends at Madison Social. We'll remind you that uh, Thursday evening, if you're in Tallahassee. And you just need to go out, grab a drink outside of the family uh, that they frequently open. Uh, the bartenders kind of run the show that night. And if you're looking for a local spot to have a cocktail uh, after you've gotten a little tired talking to your aunt and uncle, that is a place that I would plant in the back of your mind. So with that, bud, we'll be back for the UF game preview. And uh, really excited to look at a team that is... Uh, efforting to make a bowl and to reach 500 in a season in which uh, none of us thought was really possible after the first four games. Absolutely, buddy. I'll talk to you then. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Go Knowles.